Okay. Hi, everybody. Welcome. It is the 8th of December 2020, and it is the recovery from relapse meeting. And I would like to introduce our speaker, Jeff M. Take it away, Jeff. Um, thank you. Good morning. I'm Jeff. I'm a compulsive overeater, 100 pounder, uh, and also recoverer from relapse. I said good morning. I should say good morning, good afternoon, good evening, because the sun never sets on the British Empire, right? So, uh, so anyway, uh, it's not very nice to be here. I will uh, thank you very much for asking me, uh, even if I am a standard. Uh, I will uh, uh, attempt to tell you what it was like, what happened, and what I am like now. And I've got two of those stories because I did have a relapse. Uh, but first, I'll start with, uh, I, I think uh, I'm going to share my screen and show you some pictures briefly. Okay, here we go. Let's see. Can you all see those pictures? Yes. Somebody nod. Yes, you can see them. Okay. So as you can see here, uh, I was a, a chubby child, uh, you know, and this is, uh, there's two people here. One is me, you can see the, uh, the chubby one, and one is my brother. And so uh, in, in my life, uh, I've seen that, uh, not, uh, that it's not completely a genetic issue. Uh, because, uh, or maybe it is, but, uh, you know, but my point being that my brother and I both shared uh, uh, the same gene pool, yet uh, he does not have these issues, as you can see. Uh, there I am again as a chubby child, and then there's my first diet uh, right there. So uh, there's my, uh, I got down to what I would consider to be a normal weight. And if you look closely, you can see the belt almost goes all the way around me twice. The pants are very large. Uh, and that didn't last too long because now we're back in high school uh, and someone emailed me these pictures and they said, oh, isn't that cute? You look so, you know, so long ago. Uh, and I looked at the picture, particularly the one on the left, and I look in my eyes and I see the pain and I, and I see the pain. And, and, and that's really what it was like. You know, I couldn't stop from eating. I couldn't stop from starting. Once I started, I couldn't control myself. I got made fun of. I'm old enough to have uh, avoided political correctness as a child, uh, and I, you know, everybody picked on you. Every single person picked on me, whether it was an adult, a child, everybody did that. I carried that weight through college, although uh, slightly less pain in the eyes, but that might have been what I was about what I was smoking at the time. Uh, and uh, uh, then right after college, I lost. Uh, about 100 pounds and uh, thought that I was cured. Uh, sadly, this is now moving into my adulthood, uh, gained all the weight plus back. Uh, I found Overeaters Anonymous in 1987 or 88. Um, and I didn't really want to, I was just looking for a diet. Uh, and, uh, uh, and I came in and I really, didn't work the program as I learned it's necessary to be worked. I, you know, I worked the rooms to be quite honest with you. You know, I was, I enjoyed the social aspect of it. I enjoyed, uh, it was really for me at that time, diet with group support because I never really figured out the spiritual aspect. And we'll talk about that in a minute, but I'll continue through these pictures real quickly. This is me uh, in my late 30s uh, and then early 40s. As you can see, uh, I had uh, you know, a few pounds and then uh, here's another couple of pictures that uh, sort of uh, underscore uh, for me how bad the disease got. My high weight was, uh, and I'll stop sharing now and get back to uh, my high weight <clears throat> in life uh, was just before I came to the program about 338 pounds, 335, 340 
because when you get to that point with scale, it's not exactly uh, the most accurate measurement in the world. Uh, and uh, really pretty miserable. I was, uh, the, I was at the last house on the block, but we'll get back to that in a minute. So was a, a fat kid, fat teenager, a lot of pressure, uh, you know, I grew up in New York, which, you know, people are not shy about telling you what they think. And most people didn't think much of me from what they uh, told me. Uh, and, uh, you know, I sort of got through it and I got through it, but in a couple of different ways, one of which is I sort of developed this hyper large personality and this, you know, uh, people tell me I'm funny. Uh, and so uh, I would make the jokes, take the first joke about me, make jokes about other people, make fun of other people, anything I could do to deflect attention from me, because when I got attention, it was rarely positive. Um, so I, as you saw in the pictures, I went to college. Uh, 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 I'll just say it this way. Uh, I went to college during a sexual revolution and I was revolting. Uh, and uh, people did not uh, want to have those type of interactions with me. Uh, and so I was, had somewhat of a retarded uh, you know, growth period at that point, came to California, lost 100 pounds, moved to California. You know, I worked uh, for many years in the television business, got a job in the TV business, and life was on, and it was great. And I kept the weight off for about five years and then uh, put on about 100 pounds in six months after I tore up my knee uh, and uh, the doctor about 15 minutes, Jeff. Thank you. The doctor said, take these pills, these pain pills with milk. I heard him say, take these pain pills with two pints of ice cream. Uh, and so uh, I, did, uh, I did that and then gained a bunch of weight, found Ovaries Anonymous. And the thing that, and I was in for a little over a year. And the thing that I really didn't get is that there's only, and this is my opinion, and you'll forgive me if you don't agree, but there's only one way to work this program, and that is to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand him or her or it. Uh, you know, and I didn't really get it at that point because you know, who needed God? I had, you know, I was, I was making money. I was you know, popular in OA, which is sort of like being the president of the AV club, but I was popular in OA. Uh, and everything was great, you know, and, and, you know, I was dating and, you know, all this other good stuff that I had hoped to have, you know, when I was 16, I had now when I was in my late twenties and the world was good. And then I met a girl outside of program and she paid attention to me, a pretty girl who paid attention to me. That was something new in my world. Uh, and, uh, so, uh, I, I was up to graduate and as my good friend Harlan, who I'm sure you all know, uh, likes to say the graduation song in uh, uh, in OA is welcome to McDonald's. May I take your order, please? Uh, and so I left and I was off and running and I gained uh, in the next few years, 135 pounds. And I knew you were here, but I didn't want to come and see you. For 21 years, I knew you were here and I was in pain and I still didn't want to come see you. And part of the reason is that uh, one, of the, one time I came and, and, and visited a meeting, I moved to Santa Monica and I went to a meeting in Santa Monica and the uh, same room that I found a lot of recovery in later on. I'm sitting in this room and some, somebody shares, a woman shares, and she says she was in a, 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 it was around the holiday time and she said that she was in a, a mall parking lot and couldn't find a space. So she got out, got, stopped the car, got down on her knees, asked God for a parking space. And lo and behold, she found one. And I got up, literally got up and walked out of the room because at that point, my feeling was God's got better things to do than find me a parking space. 
you know, I mean, this can't be what this, this program is about, you know, and, and maybe it is, but at that moment, it didn't seem like it. So I got up, left the room and, you know, didn't come back for many years. I came back because uh, I got to 338 pounds. I made some bad business decisions and I lost a lot of money. Uh, I was not getting along with anybody. I had a uh, you know, wife and kids and uh, you know, was not getting along with them. My kids couldn't trust me because I would eat their food. I was really in my disease. Uh, and uh, I was contemplating getting uh, the uh, gastric bypass surgery. And I went to the, through the, the informational seminars that they give you and I they said, this is how much food you can eat. They showed you that one. I, I thought to myself, I will not be sane if I saw the food that I can eat. Uh, and so I went to see the doctor and we had a very nice chat. And uh, at the end of it, he said, look, one last thing, you'll see my shrink, she'll tell me you're fine. And then we'll do the surgery. And I said, well, if I see a shrink, maybe I should see a, uh, somebody who's not a rubber stamp shrink for him. Maybe I should see someone to tell me if I'm okay. Uh, and so I sought out somebody I knew from program the first time who I also knew as a therapist. And I called him up and I said, hey, can you see me? And he said, uh, no. And I said, what do you mean, no? He said, well, you're my friend. I said, friend, I've seen you three times in 20 years. You're like a bad penny that keeps turning up. And, uh, but I could really use your help. He said, how about two o'clock on Wednesday? We'll talk, you know, we'll meet for coffee and talk. Not knowing that he was planning to Eskimo me back in, uh, you know, uh, and he couldn't do that if he took my money as a therapist, uh, I, I imagine. Uh, I don't know all the rules around therapists, but I don't think that they can directly order you back into the program. And so uh, anyway, uh, I met with him. Uh, he said, look, come back to the program. You're going to need it one way or the other, and you might as well do it before you have the surgery, uh, because then, you know, you're not going to be, and these are his words, mutilating your body. Uh, you know, uh, and, and maybe you'll get it. And if you don't get it, he'll be there in three months or six months. So I came back in the, the July 5th, 2009. Now, July 5th, for those of you who aren't American, July 5th does have a uh, somewhat of a resolution-based, uh, um, resolution-based, uh, you know, sort of uh, feeling because it's the day after July 4th and we have big parties here on July 4th to celebrate our independence from you guys in Britain. And so we, uh, uh, you know, I did it, I was gonna come in the day after July 4th that year was a Saturday. I came in on a Sunday and I walked into the Beverly Hills Serenity Sunday meeting, which is a meeting I knew from before. And here's the difference between the first time and the second. Time. 10 more minutes, Jeff. Thank you. When I walked into the, the, the Beverly Hills park there, I put my hand on the door and I said, God, I have not been a terribly good child, a terribly good son. As a matter of fact, I've ignored you pretty much for most of my life. Um, uh, you know, uh, and I have no standing with you. I have no reason for you to help me. But if you are out there, if you exist, if there is a God, could you please stop help? Could you please help me to not compulsively eat today? And I walked in the room and I did share in that meeting. Uh, and there were some people there from 20 odd years ago who I had remembered and known and who remembered me. And that was, you know, nice. It got me back into the start of the program. But the reason that I didn't compulsively eat that day, I am quite certain is because I asked for help from a power greater than me. Now, before I walked in that door, I wasn't sure there was a power greater than me. Uh, my job title at work at the time was showrunner. 
Uh, and so literally that was my title showrunner. And so, you know, uh, obviously if I read the book, I realize I'm not running a show, which can be kind of confusing. Uh, but uh, I didn't think there was a power greater than me, but I stopped and I said, if you're out there, can you help me? And so every morning now, when I wake up, the first thing I say is God, can you please help me not to compulsively eat today? Because for some reason, for somehow, and I, I'm, I'm actually getting emotional over this for some reason, but for some reason, somehow, in whatever number of days 11 and a half years is, right? In whatever number of days that is, every morning I've said that, and no morning, have, no morning, evening, or night have I had to compulsively eat. So I turned to the guy who uh, brought me into the room and I said, hey, you got me into this. Now you're going to get me through this. Will you be my sponsor? And he said, yes. And so we started working on the steps. And I went through the steps in the uh, AA 12 and 12 and then in the OA 12 and 12. And I lost six pounds a month for 18 months. And uh, that was a new experience because as a dieter, you know, I would go on a diet. I lose, you know, 15, 20 pounds in a month you know, 15. And, and so I you know, was very diligent about working my food plan that I worked out with my sponsor. I got on a scale and said six pounds. I said, what the hell is, and so I was frustrated, but my sponsor says, stay the course, do what you're doing. Stay the course next month, six pounds. It almost got to be a joke. Every month was six pounds. You know, it didn't really matter. It didn't really matter what I ate. It didn't really matter what I, if I exercised, six pounds. So after about the fourth or fifth month, I said, okay, God, I get the joke. But the dough kept going, six pounds a month for 18 months. And, uh, and I didn't have to look like the, the guy in that picture. And I didn't have to be like the guy in that picture. You know, because I realized I was not in charge of the universe. I'm not the only thing that matters. You know, I, uh, you know and, and I, got, I got this all from working the steps. I got the humility of, of understanding what the program means. You know, that I'm not the center of the universe, that my job is to be of service. And in fact, my instinct about the parking space God that that lady was asking for was borne out because the book tells me that I'm not to ask for anything for myself, but just the power to understand God's will for me, or the knowledge to understand what God's will for me is the power to carry that out. Not Santa Claus, not can I have the Tesla, because yeah, I'd like a Tesla. If anyone has a spare Tesla, I'll give you my address. But, you know, uh, you know, but I don't ask God for a Tesla. I ask God what I'm supposed to do today to make the world a better place. So now I'm in abstinence and all of a sudden I start to gain a little bit of weight back and I get a little panicked because you know my sponsor had been absent for so many years. He had forgotten struggles with food. And here I am two and a half, three years in and I'm beginning to struggle with the food again. And I heard a gentleman talk about sober eating. And he said, it's not about what we, what we don't eat it's not only about what we don't eat. It's also about how we do eat because I could be taking the edge off with food three, four, five times a day and claim to be abstinent, you know, to have abstinence. And so we, uh, I asked him to help me and, and I started working with him and his group. And the difference here and what has given me the ability, in my opinion, to abstain for this long is that you know, when an alcoholic gives up alcohol, it's relatively binary, right? You're either drinking alcohol or you're not drinking alcohol. You're taking drugs or you're not taking drugs. You're, you're doing whatever the behavior is or you're not doing that behavior. Right? And with, with us, it's a little bit more subtle. We've got to eat three, four, five times a day. And so these sober eating guys that I work with, what the, what the, the difference is that we create very big, bold black lines around what is okay 
and what is not okay when it comes to food. Because food for me isn't nourishment. It is, but it's not only nourishment. It's, it, it, it's not a party. It's not something to- Five more minutes, Jeff. It's not something to just enjoy. And if you'll pardon the indelicacy, get off on, right? That's not what food's about. For me now, food is about nourishment. Food is about three times a day. I've got to you know, eat so that I don't starve to death so that I can, you know, uh, you know, can support my body. And my food plan is in very big, bold, black lines. And, and you know, I know when I'm getting close to that line. And thankfully, I haven't had the experience. But I would also know when I went over that line. You know, and so it's not a question of, can I have this? For me, the gray area is really a bad, a bad idea. You know, negotiation with food is a bad idea. You know why? Because I always lose. In all my life, I have never once won a negotiation with food. Even if I think I did, I never once won because it's living in my head, rent-free. Should I have it? Shouldn't I have it? Do I have it? Don't I have it? Did I have too much? Did I have too little? Can I have more? You know, I can't be in that space because that's where my disease lives. You know, I've often said that it would be really much more uh, convenient for all of us if our disease spoke to us in a different voice. You know, there used to be a guy named Richie in program and he talked like this, he had this voice like this. And I, I would love my disease to have Richie's voice because I know when he was talking to me because he, hey, hey, that piece of cake's a good idea. You know, I know that that's not me, but that's not how it works. It works that you know, my, my, my disease talks to me in my voice. Oh, have one more, it's okay. Oh, don't worry about it today. Oh, you can do better tomorrow. Okay, but I can't do better tomorrow because if I kept, you know, my father called my mother forever tomorrow because she was always making a resolution, never a decision. Okay, and she never took the, she never took the, up on that resolution. You know, and I have the same tomorrowism. I have that same, you know, wanting to procrastinate. Oh, I'll take care of that tomorrow. Oh, it'll, you know, it'll be there tomorrow. You know, and the same with the food. Oh, you'll do better tomorrow. I can't, I won't have more tomorrows if that's my attitude. Okay, I would, I'm quite certain I'd be dead by now. Three more minutes, the program. Thank you. I didn't find the program again, winding up for the big finish. Uh, uh, and so, uh, yeah, so I won't have it tomorrow if I don't keep these bold black lines around my food and not have that gray area and not have that negotiation. So, I clean up my food and that allows me to do the real work of the program, right? I'm powerless over food and I really understand that I'm powerless over food. I came to believe that there was a power greater than me because I saw that it worked. I saw that believing in God and asking God for help and aligning myself with the reality of the world was actually a better place than living in fantasy land and, and, and pretending that, you know, th that these things didn't exist or that my issues weren't real and just you know, trying to charge through them. You know, so I turned my will and my life over to God. I clean up my side of the street you know, I, you know, by doing inventory. And then I you know, look at my defects and try and get rid of them. And sometimes that's hard because some of the defects are fun. But you know, I can't have these defects in my life because what do they do? They, they bring me back to the food because it's my disease wanting me to come back, circle back and eat. Oh, you're having a problem, eat over it. Oh, you're having an issue, eat over it. You don't like, you know, the politics in the US, eat over it. You don't like you know, anything else that comes up, you know, your, your kid fails out of college, eat over it. No, that's not, you know, why? 
what has nothing to do with the other? I need to understand that my emotional life is here and my food life is here. And those lines have to be parallel. If I let the food do that to, you know, and get involved in the emotions, then I'm going to be that, you know, that's going to be the path, the path of my life. Now, is, are things as exciting in abstinence as they were outside of abstinence? No. Sometimes I look at myself and say, gee, you kind of got dull in your old age, Jeff. But you know what? It doesn't really matter because dull is okay because dull is peaceful. I don't have to be excited every minute of every day. I don't have to get excited by food. I don't have to get joy from food. I can get joy from life and excitement from life. And certainly living in LA, there's plenty of excitement and craziness to you know, keep everybody on their toes. And so I don't need to do that. All I need to do is every day wake up Thank God for the gifts that he's given me. Ask God what his will for me is and give me the power and strength to carry that out. I also ask every morning that I get to do God's work and not his job. Okay, because God's you know, judgment is God's job. Uh, you know, uh, control is God's job. I just get to do God's work. And if I can do God's work, help another human being, leave the world a little bit better off than, I, than I, when I woke up that morning. And maybe I can't do that every day, but I can try to do that every day. Eat like a gentleman, report my food, work with my sponsor and work with my sponsees and try and, and, lead, you know, and, and do service for this program to help another compulsive overeater because I don't have nearly the amount of pain that I had in my life. 12 years ago. I don't have nearly amount of drama. I don't have Next nearly time, amount of, of illness. Thank you. Uh, you know, I don't have to go to a hospital you know, with chest pains every three months, which I did prior to this. And all of that is because I listened to you and because you guys were here for me when I came back. And I truly am grateful for that. And I will be forever. So thank you very much for everything you've done for me. I appreciate it. Jeff, thank you so much for your share.